0: Everywhere we go, we're bombarded with comment cards or online surveys. And now if you don't fill them out, they start to really annoy you. You get phone calls. You get text messages or, or emails. I took my car in for routine maintenance to the dealership. And then, of course, I got one of these surveys. And they said, now only fill this out if you can give us 9 or 10 out of 10 on each of the questions. I said, okay, I don't really have time anyway. But they had conveniently forgot the fact that I was there two weeks prior to this, and my car had to be towed in, and they let it sit there for a week before they even looked at it. And I never received a. Any offer to fill out a comment card at that time. So I just had to let that one go, and, and I chose just not to do that survey. But people are hilarious in their responses to comment cards. But Here are some that I read once that were put on a comment card for a wilderness park. One person said the trails need to be wider so that people can walk holding hands. Well, and, and they need to... Uh, Then they also said, please avoid building trails that go uphill. Or please spray the wilderness to rid it of bugs and spiders. And then a small animal came into my camp and stole some of my food. Could I be reimbursed for that? And then they actually gave their phone number and put that on the comment card. And then there was another one, there are too many rocks on the mountain trail. But... Our culture has been trained to be professional consumers. And if the customer isn't satisfied, then we look somewhere else. If we don't like the deal that we're getting, then we demand to talk to the manager. We have subconsciously brought this consumer mentality into the church as well. And we find ourselves asking questions like, are my needs being met Am I being fed? Am I being noticed here? And with this mentality, we think that when it comes to membership, the question that we're going to ask is, what's in it for me? It's all about me. But the church is much different than that. The church is an unusual organization because it doesn't exist primarily for the people that are members of it. The church exists for those that are actually not members or not even attendees that is who we are more concerned about it's not about us and that's hard for some people to understand because when you're a member of something you have a sense of entitlement you've given to this so my needs should be looked after here I deserve all of this now don't get me wrong we want to make certain that our members are satisfied and well fed But the way that you will be most satisfied in this church isn't by putting on a bib and then sitting down at a table and waiting for people to come and wait on you, but it's taking off the bib, it's putting on an apron, and it's finding ways in which to serve. It's committing yourself to finding your place of service. This is the last day in a series of messages that James and I have been doing on the title of All In. And we've covered five different topics so far. And James said he had the toughest ones, as he said each time that he shared them. But we've talked about the importance of being in church regularly. We, we've talked about the need to give generously. We've talked about the fact that we need to read God's word, that we need to build relationships. And then we are also have challenged you to share your faith And today, what we're going to challenge you with is to commit yourself to serving, to demonstrating the maturity that God has given to you. You could have a seven-month-old boy, and he can't feed himself, and we realize that's normal. The seven-month-old kids can't do that. But if you also have a seven-year-old daughter, and she can't feed herself, you would say, okay, there's something wrong here. That seven-year-old daughter should not only be able to feed herself, but she should be able to help out sometimes with that younger brother. That's what we would expect. That's natural. So as we mature we stop being completely dependent upon other people to feed us, to take care of our needs, and we start looking around us at the needs of others so that we can meet those needs. So spiritual immaturity is when we start asking questions like, who's meeting my needs? Or is this the way I want it? Spiritual maturity, on the other hand, looks to put others first because our service is who we are. And the Bible teaches that as followers of Christ, we are servants. That's our identity. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans actually deal with theology. That's where Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he's talking about God's plan of salvation and how that has been unfolding since before the world was even created, actually. But then chapter 12, that's when he starts talking about how that's lived out in everyday life. So the whole book kind of hinges on this one verse here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, so based on God's mercy and grace that he's talked about in the previous 11 chapters, Paul is going to urge us in certain ways. And one of those ways is to be servants of God. So we want to have the heart of a servant, first of all, because God has forgiven me. God has saved me. God has given me eternal life. And because of that, I gladly offer myself to him as a sacrifice of service. Now here's the full verse, uh, verse 1. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. So I don't serve out of guilt. I don't do it out of duty. I don't do it out of obligation. But I do this because of my love for Jesus Christ. Jesus told the parable of the talents, And... He describes how the one talent guy didn't actually do anything with what he received. And he said, the guy spoke up and he said, I was afraid, so I hid my talents in the ground. And fear is what keeps people from using the gifts that God has given them. We're afraid of commitment. What if I sign up and then I'm going to be away some weekend? What if I sign up and I don't like what I'm doing? What if I sign up to be a life group host and nobody comes to my house? Or or what if I sign up to coach a soccer team and we lose every game? And that happened to me when my daughter Shannon was in the under 11 category. I had never coached soccer before and the director of the club, he says, come on, you play hockey, you coached hockey, you can coach soccer. So I coached. And we lost every game until the last game of the year 7-2 6-2 and my daughter Shannon scores every goal for us and then I had a horrible father moment because my daughter's running all over the place carrying the team and then I yell Shannon run faster but fortunately, my daughters are all very strong in who they are. And she turned around and told me to shut up. She was running as fast as she could. And that happened at other times when I was coaching her volleyball team. But, but just imagine how Moses felt. God is calling him to come and lead this nation of people, a million, two million people, and he's to lead that nation out of Egypt. He's the one that's to go and talk to Pharaoh and arrange that. So Moses is terrified. No, God, I can't do this. I don't speak very well. Isn't there someone else that you can call on to do this? Now, I don't know where it happened, but Through the course of church history, many Christians have started to have this mentality. We pay someone to do those things. We'll sit on the sidelines and we'll cheer those people on. Once in a while, we'll do some of those priestly duties ourselves. But for the most part, we don't serve because that's what we've paid these guys to do. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 Listen to what Peter said. He said, but you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Now, Paul's not spot- actually speaking at a pastor's conference here. He's talking to everyday people and he's saying, you are a group of royal priests. Every member is a minister. We've all been saved, and because we've been saved, we serve God with a thankful heart. Now back in my first sermon here at HCC, I mentioned the fact that all the members of the church are ministers. And I started looking through the records, and there aren't very many people from 34 years ago. As I went through alphabetically, there were Peter and Debbie Boyer, and then Ian and Ruth Dempsey, and then Tony Jorgensen, and then in the first service, I forgot my family. I said, that was it, the five. But my wife, Pat, and then my daughters, Brittany and Shannon, who would have been in kids' church, and they wouldn't have heard that message. But I haven't changed my mind. It's still the same thing. Every member is a minister. We've all been saved, and because we've been saved, we serve God out of a thankful heart. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I am deeply grateful to our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I owe all that I have accomplished, for trusting me enough to appoint me his minister, despite the fact that I had previously blasphemed his name, persecuted his church, and damaged his cause. And when I look at my past, and I look at the mess that I've made of my life, I'm just so honored that God would allow me to serve him. So the heart of a servant is motivated by God's glory. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says that we are the light of the world and we are to do good deeds because of the fact that we have been saved. But we don't do those good deeds so that the light is going to shine on us, but we do those deeds so that the light will shine on God, that he will receive glory, our God in heaven. So that's what motivates our service. It's God's glory. Now, Sometimes we can be like the Pharisees in the New Testament, finding that our service is motivated by the need to have applause or or the need to have appreciation. And do you ever find that you do that? We want to get attention. So sometimes it's more of self-serving instead of serving. And the second thing that Paul talks about here is the mind of a servant. It's in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Now, that line, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. If we were to take one word and replace that whole line, it would be the word humility because that's what it's all about when we serve others. It's humbling ourselves. Look at what Gordon MacDonald said. He said, you can tell whether or not uh, you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. So there's something in us that just demands to be at the top, to get the credit, to get the attention, to get the admiration. Our family plays a game called President. And in this game, all the cards are dealt out, and you go around the table, you play your hands. The first person to get rid of all their cards becomes the President. The second person is Vice President. And then you keep going down until you have the last two people. And then the next hand that you play, the president receives the two best cards from the one that was last in the previous hand. The vice president won from the second last person. And when we get to the top, nobody wants to drop off. You need to misplay your cards or get some really bad hands if you're going to not stay at the top, because this person is always giving you their best. But we hate going from the top to bottom in life as well. Everything within us says we want to be the one that's being served. Yet Jesus demonstrated what it means to have the mind of a servant. And you're familiar with this passage in Philippians chapter 2. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide, Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing he was born as a man and became like a servant so that goes against everything in our world the highest came to serve the lowest the Creator came to serve the created beings the one who had everything made himself nothing For the mind of a servant is constantly thinking how can I put this person ahead of me a servant sees a need and just instinctively meets it, whether it's important or not. And Jesus demonstrated that for us in John chapter 13. He went to have a meal with his disciples, and there was a task that was reserved for the lowest of servants, but there was no servant, and the disciples didn't step up to wash feet. So Jesus got a basin of water and a towel, and he went around and he washed each of those disciples' feet. The mind of a servant is humility, and Jesus ultimately displayed that when he did that for his disciples. But then the most uh, amazing time was when the King of Kings died on the cross of calvary. we never more like Jesus than when we put others ahead of ourselves and then Paul reveals. The hands of a servant to us in verses 4 and 5 just as our bodies had many parts so here he's talking about the unity of the body and each part has a special function so we all have these different gifts so it is with christ's body we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other So here he's talking about the interdependence of the body. I need you, you need me. If I don't fulfill the role that God has entrusted me with, then that's going to affect you. And if you don't use the gift, play the role that God wants for you, that's going to affect me as well. So if you don't do your part, then the body of Christ can't function as well as it could. Now, I went through as much as I could remember of everything that is involved in preparing for this worship service here today. And it actually started two weeks ago when the band chose the music and then they started to practice on their own. And then on Tuesday night, they had their main practice here at the church. And then on Friday afternoon, messages started going out, being sent by Majed Soltani, telling us who would be greeting at each of the services, who would be serving communion. And then yesterday, the slide presentation was put together by Ben Desmenu. And then I saw a message sent by Vicki Mamukayomi saying who from her coffee team was going to be uh, putting the coffee together today. And then Kevin Zhang came in and organized the chairs, and Radi Padua came in and cleaned the church. Then today at 7.30, Carlos Madrano was here unlocking the doors and getting everything turned on and tuned in for the band that arrived at 10 to 8. And then they had their final practice and sound check. And then I started to smell coffee as a member of the coffee team was down there brewing coffee. Claire Comba is already there prepping for GLOW Kids. And then at 8.45, we had q to q which is where the everybody involved in the service just gets together we quickly run through each of the different segments and then we pray together for the service and then shortly after 9 someone from Marcus Nesto's team arrived to prepare communion and then after some time the first of the greeters arrive at 9:20 the remainder of the media av team arrived The Welcome Center staff member comes, the servant in the nursery ministry led by Edith Agbola arrives, and then three of the full-time teachers in GLOW Kids will arrive. And at 9.30, worship begins. Four people will serve communion during each service, and then we'll see someone like Yaroslav Postovi clean up after the final service is over. And then that's just on Sunday. Then through the week we have um, Ignite Youth and Claire Kamba has six or seven people that serve with her in that. Then there are people serving in the life group ministry. Roland Evoro High leads our property ministry. Our board of trustees meets for financial and legal oversight and our treasurer Paul Alcos puts in the most time there because of his role. We have individuals doing personal Bible studies with others. Debbie and Peter Boyer had been providing counseling to couples and individuals. Heather Stewart leads our missions ministry. Then on Friday nights, Majed leads Asylum in Christ, which is a group of mature Christians in the Persian community in our city. And then on Saturday nights, Shaheen Shahabi leads a group of newer believers and investing people that are investigating Christianity within the Persian community. Karen Cook gets everything ready for us for pizza with the pastor. Our elders meet to pray for the congregation and provide governance for the congregation. And then Joy McDonnell and Audrey Hunt are our representatives at the local food bank. Jan McDonald organizes our visits to the Ark Sunday suppers. And we just need one more casserole for next Sunday, by the way. And then we have people that provide transportation, visit in nursing homes and hospital, pray for the congregation. And then I've likely forgot a lot but B.J. Noyan and my son-in-law, James Stevenson, they're around here a lot doing all these things that that I don't understand. (laughs) So we are dependent upon one another, and that's all the different parts of the body serving in different ways to accomplish the purpose of Christ and to advance his kingdom. So here's a question. What should you be doing? In October, November... We did a series entitled, Shape to Serve, and we talked about the fact that we need to take into consideration our personality, our the gifts that God has given to us, the passions, the abilities, the experiences that we've had. And I want to say how pleased I am, because I see so many more people that are involved in serving in ministries around here but you all haven't been. So I'm going to ask a few questions to help you along that path. First of all, ask yourself, what are my gifts? Because there are some things that you do naturally. It might be the way that you interact with people. You're just so easy with them and it makes them feel at ease and welcome. Some of you are incredibly organized and you pay great attention to detail. For some of you, it might be singing and playing an instrument, things that you were born with. Paul in verse 6 said, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And a few chapters later, Paul says, Each of us will actually have to give an account for the gifts that he has entrusted to us. And then, what are my abilities? We all have different ways we can contribute from skills that we've learned. It could be computer skills, it could be decorating, could be sewing, could be playing sports, and you use these gifts and you don't get paid for them. You just do it to serve and build the body of Christ. That's what Peter was referring to here in the fourth chapter of his first letter. He said, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts, to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. So be sure to use those gifts to enrich the lives of others. And then the third question is, what are my passions? What do I enjoy doing? Bill Hybels actually put the question this way, what makes my heart beat faster? So what is it that God has made me passionate about? Because there are certain things that he has put that inward desire in me for. So ask yourself that. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote, Now all of you together are the one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So ask yourself, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? What are my passions? And then understand that the primary reason you've been given each one of those is to advance the kingdom of God. And if you're not using those to build up the body of Christ, then you're not using them the way that he intended. And there's one last question to be asked, and that's what needs to be done. Because sometimes we think, okay, if I'm not gifted, if I don't have the ability, if I'm not passionate about this, then that means... This is for someone else to do. But there are some things that no one feels gifted to do, no one is passionate about, and no one has the ability to do. Something like washing dirty feet. But there are some things that still need to be done. And there's a sense in which when we do things that don't come naturally to us, that can actually be the greatest demonstration of our love and devotion. Real service says, if I see a need, I'm going to meet it. If something needs to be done, I'm going to do it. You might have a husband who is great at scrubbing and vacuuming floors, doing the laundry, cleaning the bathrooms, putting out the garbage, shoveling snow, cutting grass, doing all the yard work. Uh, What else do I do? Oops! Uh, uh, (laughs) Renovations around the house but maybe he's not so good around the kitchen. Not very gifted at cooking, a little slack on washing dishes. But then the occasional times when that husband does those things, what he is actually doing is demonstrating to his wife that, you know, I'm doing something that I'm not comfortable with. I'm doing something that I'm not gifted to do that doesn't come natural to me. But it is... I said me again. But it's a great statement of his love and devotion. Back when I started in the ministry, you were never to tell a story about yourself. That was the rule. You would say, I knew a guy once, if it was about you, and people kind of understood, but I tried to do that today. It didn't work. But I just want to tell you about Bob Pierce. He was the founder of World Vision, and he was dying with advanced leukemia and he wanted to go visit a colleague of his in Indonesia so he was able to make the trip and he was following his colleague around to different parts of the country and while they were visiting a small village he and this was out in the jungle he saw this young woman that was lying on a mat beside the river and he learned that she was dying of cancer and he was enraged. Like, why isn't she in a clinic somewhere? Why is she lying here on that dirty mat beside that river? But then Pierce found out that she had requested to spend her final days in the village that she had grown up in and to be able to be by that river that she had always spent time in as a child. So Pierce was so moved with compassion that he got down on his knees and he took her by the hand and he prayed for her. And then when he finished praying, she said something and Pierce turned to his friend and he said, what did she say? And his friend answered, if only I could sleep again. So the pain from her cancer had made it impossible for her to sleep at night. So she just spent these horribly painful sleepless nights. So Pierce, he began to cry And then he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out the pockets that his doctor had given to him to take during those nights when he had extreme, which was every night, when he had extreme pain from his own leukemia and wasn't able to sleep. And he gave them to his friend, and he said, make sure this young woman gets a good night's sleep until these pills run out. So he knew that there was 10 days supply for himself in there and he was 10 days away from actually being able to get that prescription refilled. 10 sleepless and painless nights. But on that day, his servanthood cost him greatly. But the costliest act of service was when Jesus Christ, God's only son, came to this earth to die for you and me. And if we think that sacrificial service is the ultimate expression of love, then the ultimate expression of love is going to that cross. And Jesus said, I didn't come here to be served, but I came to serve. I came to be the servant of all. He has paid the price for your sins. Through his act of sacrifice, you can find salvation, you can find grace, you can find forgiveness, and you can find a second chance. If you've never made that decision, this is your opportunity this morning to share that with me, to share that decision with somebody. Talk to us about entering into a relationship with Jesus.